you have it on your title page of chapter 23. It would be page 609. Uh, You'll see it says no catechism questions, and there aren't any specifically. But that being said, you may want to make you a note to consider and review the fifth commandment, particularly larger catechism questions 127 through 132. All right, those are the questions, the duties of, of inferiors to superiors and the sins, and then the, the duties of inferiors to superiors and the sins. And we'll look at a couple of them in time, but uh, you may want to make that note. Also, make a note to look at uh, Westminster Confession, uh, chapter 20, paragraph 4. And we're going to look at that right now as soon as we start. Chapter 20 deals with Christian liberty. And this paragraph specifically deals with the Christian liberty in relation to civil government, civil magistrates. So it'll do you good to have those notes uh, there just to remind you of things that work. There, there are a lot of things at play in this. We've got... And don't forget the structure. God and, and well, let's just, let, let's, let me hold that for a minute. All right, take a look at uh, page 530. If you've got your notebook, if you don't, uh, you can just listen. Because I do want to read paragraph 20.4. Because it, it deals directly, I think, uh, with a question that came up um, last week. Uh, uh, concerning God and, and God's part in ordaining powers that are just wicked, all right? And how is it that God would ordain a power that's wicked? Does that make him part of that wickedness of the ruler or of the, the, the group that's in leadership? And, and the free will, man's free will, is uh, part of what came up as a question about that, all right? And man has his free will. Uh, but we, we can't, the easiest thing to do in part is to just consider, well, wait a minute. God's, God's your ruler, my ruler. Now, there are other rulers that he's put in place, but ultimately, we have this direct relationship with God relative to our conscience, Right? That's just you and God. Now, how you do what you do, how you exercise that conscience, obviously has to be governed by God's word. All right? Now, with that in mind, if you'll look at paragraph 20.4, that's the Westminster Confession of Faith, chapter 20, paragraph 4. And again, this is... Christian liberty and liberty of conscience. And because the powers which God hath ordained, sound familiar from where we were last week, and because the powers which God hath ordained and the liberty which Christ hath purchased, right, your, your liberty, your Christian liberty, are not intended by God to destroy, but mutually to uphold and preserve one another. Right, so now you can start saying, well, we got obligations here both ways. 
even how we exercise our own conscience, how we uphold and preserve one another. And they who, upon pretense of Christian liberty, shall oppose any lawful power. Okay? Now you've got this conflict between what you believe personally and what those in authority over you are demanding of you are directing you to do, all right? And there's some tension there. There can be. So this is another part of this, how we view this civil magistrate thing. We've got to be careful because if we oppose any lawful power or the lawful exercise of it, now that, that brings into question, well, are they lawful in their exercising it? Or is what they're doing lawful? Now, now we got another little factor that you got to use your decision. Is, is this a proper exercise of the authority that God's given them in relation to me or in relation to what I'm a part of? All right? So it, it, it can get to be sticky and tough. Or the lawful exercise of it, whether it be civil or ecclesiastical. All right? <laughs> We covered all the authorities that God's created in those two words, civil and ecclesiastical. Who upon pretense of Christian liberty shall oppose any lawful power or the lawful exercise of it, whether it be civil or ecclesiastical, resist the ordinance of God. Now you're doing battle with God. Because God's at the top. And he's established it. And he is Lord of your conscience. And for their publishing, now publishing, if if you had any notes, publishing there would be contradicting by word, by print, by actions. So publishing is getting the opposition out however you choose to do it. I never said, well, maybe you wrote Or maybe you encourage somebody else to say, however you do it. And for their publishing of such opinions or maintaining of such practices as are contrary to the light of nature or to the known principles of Christianity, that would include the matter of authority. That would be a known principle of Christianity. God's created, ordained these authorities. Whether concerning faith worship or conversation or to the power of godliness or such erroneous opinions or practices as either in their own nature or in the manner of publishing or maintaining them, and here's some key words too, are destructive to the external peace and order which Christ hath established in the church. They may lawfully be called to account and proceeded against by the censures of the church. Now, the original confession has a little, another little phrase right there, and it says, and by the power of the civil magistrate. That was taken out when the Americans basically adopted the confession. They, they made some changes, and we'll talk about a change in the chapter we're on. But that's a change here. They took out civil magistrate. Because this is directed to Christians as to their Christianity. 
The civil magistrate has no authority in the ecclesiastical realm. That's why that was deleted. At least that was the opinion. But you stop and think about when the confession was adopted and the practice that had gone on for however long, decades, probably centuries, the, 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 the tension, well, the church. The church was at play, was it not, in European history, and history is way above my pay grade, all right? But you either had Protestant or you had Roman Catholic, did you not? And, and that was a driving force in the civil government. So you can understand how that little language would have gotten into the confession because it wasn't different when the confession <laughs> was adopted. That, that mindset was still there, but it was deleted when we adopted it, and, and we'll talk a little more about that in time. All right, so now there's Christian liberty. Your and my Christian liberty and our conscience, how we've got to use it in, in relation to civil, the civil magistrate. All right, now let's get back over to chapter 23, and I'm on page, whatever page I'm on, 610. And just briefly, chapter, uh, paragraph 1 of chapter 23, God, the supreme Lord and King of all the world, hath ordained civil magistrates to be under him over the people for his own glory and the public good. All right? So now, again, you, you see the same language, a lot of it we just read, same idea. All right? There's a mutual benefit if it's used properly. And to this end hath armed them with the power of the sword for the defense and encouragement of them that are good and for the punishment of evil doers. All right, governments are of God. And we considered, just briefly review, we considered that that started at creation. All right? And we talked about all the living creatures being placed under Adam. There was a government in place. When sin came into the picture, how it was before that, you can, I think, imply that Eve was to be a help to Adam so that there was that, that headship even before the fall, but certainly after the fall. Scripture, uh, Genesis 3, 16, um, made it clear that then there would be this definite headship submissiveness uh, on the part of, of Eve and, and Adam in their, their roles, respectively. And we also considered that with every government we see here, everything is under God. Then we've got the powers, the authorities, and then we've got the people. So there's an under, everybody's under God. Then you and I would be under, for example, our... Our, our, our president, our Congress, all right, they're, they're over here, and we're down here. And the people at the bottom are subservient, so that's where you get in then, looking back at the catechism questions, the, uh, the inferiors, superiors, and even how we deal with one another as to equals. The, the design of benefit, the government, authorities, God never put them in place to be dictators. 
You know, and, and something that we, we wish and something that, especially in the church, we have to be very careful with, but it needs to be true in civil government too, that those in authority are there for the benefit of the people under them. That's the way God set it up and intended it to be. They're not there for the people to be a benefit to them. That would be your dictatorship. All right? They're not there to be abused. They're not there to be lorded over. They're there to be served. Okay? And we talked about the structure of some of these. God didn't dictate that it's a monarchy or it's a republic or a democracy or whatever. Right? That has gone with the people and, and you know, started with the theocracy with God's people, uh, children of Israel. So we've got those. Now, that's pretty much where we got to last week. So, question, how do we understand how it is that all governments are ordained and used by God? All right? But with, with what we see happen, what we see happening in our own government right now, and again, do you ever have the question? I just don't understand why you allow this. I don't understand why your people suffer. I don't understand why I'm suffering. I don't understand why... You know, and you have that question come up a lot in a lot of given areas, but government's where our focus is right now. So, and especially when the government is bad, is wicked. So how is it then that we, all right, God ordained it. We know that. The powers that be are ordained of God. And, and don't forget that. Keep that principle right there. You start seeing things and thinking, I don't have to do what... The, these people are so wicked, I, 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 know I, I owe no obligation to them at all. Not so. Not so. Right? They're ordained of God. Now, so... Where's a good way to learn what it was that God would do or was doing with wicked rulers? Where's, where's a, a source you can go to and get it firsthand and you know it's reliable? Sure, the Bible. And particularly if you look at the Old Testament, what do we see? Are, are all these people good? Yeah, Paul? I just, it was Jeremiah. It was Jeremiah just telling the people, you should go, you should leave your land, you should go to Babylon, you should obey. It's very powerful. Mm -hmm. Which is exactly the opposite of what anybody wanted to hear. That was God's plan for that moment. And, 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 and you can understand if you're honest, I think, we, at least I could understand, 
the resistance of the people. What are you, what are you saying, Jeremiah? What are you, a traitor? You know? You crazy? No. And we see God using the evil over and over. I mean, that's, that's what the majority of the Old Testament is. It's conflict after conflict, isn't it? Conflict after conflict. And then we can then go to our own world history, man's history, history of mankind from the, from the get-go, and look and see what's going on. And, okay, how did these things interact? And what happened? You see, as a, as a believer, we do have an advantage in interpreting history, in viewing history, don't we? Because we know that all history was working toward what? And what your Bible's about. Working toward the coming of Christ. The redemptive work of God through Christ. And if you look at history, you'll see. Yes. The rising up and putting down. And it's just amazing to me what, what I, I just thoroughly enjoy, I must confess, and again, history is way above my pay grade, so. But I love just watching how God directed and how he used whatever. The weather and hailstones killing people. Used insects, had the hornet, you had floods, you had earthquakes, you name it. And and all God had to do was just shake this over here a little bit. You had armies, men trained, killing each other. Just in panic. Confusion, whatever it was, I don't know. But isn't it amazing? And then, then we, we get worried. Oh, no. It, it's it's, it's going to happen to us, and, and, and we're toast. And we'll talk about that some. Because, again, this is all part of keeping our hearts at peace. See, that's what I'd like for us to take out of this chapter. All governments, all those in authority are ordained by God. And they're not going to do any more or any less than God allows them. Now, the wickedness part, they're using their will. God doesn't ordain the wickedness. We know. We've talked about that. God does not originate sin in anybody or even condone it. But God, notwithstanding the sin, will still accomplish his purpose. His purpose is never for man to sin. His purpose is for man to live righteously, to come to Christ. But when man exercising his will goes against God, 
What do we know about sin? We know that God judges sin. Right? And that's what we see, isn't it? With um, the, 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 the common thread throughout all history. Isn't the common thread man's sin or his following God? And that's if you, Old Testament especially, children of Israel turn to idols, wickedness, God brings in whoever it happens to be, the Assyrians or the Babylonians or the Philistines or the Egyptians or whoever. Brings them in. People get killed. People go into bondage. Cities get destroyed. Families get divided, separated. Okay? You get all kinds of things. And then what happens? The people in bondage, they remember. They remember. What, what, are the, what, are the, what do they remember? What is it that makes them do what they did? They called to God. Why? Why would, why would they call to I mean, God allowed them to go into bondage. Why would God hear anything or care? What do they know about God? First of all, that God what? He's sovereign. They know he's all-powerful. So he can accomplish. So these people that are holding them in bondage, how do they know that? What did God tell them in Exodus 20? Remember, I'm God. I'm sovereign over all. And I did what? I brought you out of bondage. They had a history. They knew what God could do. Is it any different for you and me? Has God changed? You know, nations, nations, you know, some of us that are a little older grew up with this constant, uh, at least, published fear, talked about fear of this great war between the communist and the U.S., the bad guys and the good guys, and it was going to be at any time, at any time. And what happened? What happened to this great communist Empire. God brought it down, in my opinion. God brought it down because they couldn't grow enough food. You see that going on right now. North Korea's got that problem. China's got that problem. You know? Now, is the dirt any different? In these countries, maybe the climate's some different, but is the dirt a lot different or whatever? I doubt it. I mean, these places grow. You can see it. You know, it was one of the things about, uh, what was it, Ukraine? Wheat? Wheat. Wheat? That Ukraine just grows in abundance. Um, so they're, they're able, and yet there's a problem. Now, again, I'm not going to go into all that other than my point is... Remember, the governments are ordained of God. That impacts 
how you exercise your Christian liberty and conscience and sets out the duties you have. Don't let what's happening just put you where you can't go to sleep at night for fear that something's going to happen. If it does, it's ordained of God. You aren't going to stop it by staying awake all night. Okay? So, a lot, lot to rejoice in, in that we know this God. This God that we're talking about is our Heavenly Father who loves us and cares for us. So, what do we, what do we have to, to worry about? Man's sin and his obedience, the common thread in history, and God's grace and God's judgment. Turn quickly, if you would, to Deuteronomy 28. You can read a lot in Deuteronomy. I mean, you go back and read the whole book, and it just this is kind of over and over. Um, and, and in Deuteronomy 28, you, you wind up with God giving these blessings for obedience. Uh, verse 1, And it shall come to pass, if thou shalt hearken diligently unto the voice of the Lord thy God, to observe and to do all his commandments, which I command thee this day. Now there's the theocracy, there's the authority, if you do what you're supposed to do under the authority over you. That the Lord thy God will set thee on high above all nations of the earth. And he meant it. He meant it. And probably Solomon was the, the, the crown of that, the epitome of that. David was at war, but Solomon, Solomon uh, benefited, if I can put it that way, what David had done. And then Solomon starts out honoring the Lord, and God gave him not only... Did he give him rest from the enemies? The enemies, what can we do for you? He had respect and honor from those that were enemies. You don't read about Solomon going to war. You read about people, what can I do for you? The king of Tyre, you, how much longer do you want? You know, we'll do this. We'll get, boom. And gold, hey, how much gold? You know, we'll, we'll ship it to you. I mean, you read through and you see it. And I was just struck with Solomon in, in the early days. Solomon didn't honor the Lord at the end of his life particularly. And, and then downhill it went. Downhill it went. But you see with that what's going on. Now, keep that in mind as we go through this. And what we talk about, the key, it would appear, would it not, that the key to history is all tied to who? I mean, Christ for sure, but tied to the Old Testament, it was tied to who? What his people did, wasn't it? It's tied to the children of Israel. If they obeyed, things went well. If they disobeyed, things went bad. 
right? Now I'm going to go ahead and mention this now. We'll probably mention it again. Second Chronicles talks about who in relation to problems in the land. If who? If my people, right? If my people will do these things, then will I hear from heaven. And among other things, I'll heal their land. Okay? If history teaches us anything as believers, it should teach us how much of an obligation we have to one another, to those that follow us, our children, our grandchildren. Because I would suggest to you that how things go for them may depend in part for sure. God's sovereign. I don't mean to limit, but God has said in his word, if my people do this. It raised the question in your mind like it did in mine. What are God's people doing these days? Because again, it would appear. You look at your Bible and you, you study history. God honors those that honor him. And he takes care of them. Did believers die in the war? Sure they did. Are believers dying now in conflicts? They are. Are believers dying just because they dare say I'm a believer? They are. But when the church was persecuted is when the church grew immensely. So God honoring, God using perhaps in a death, spreading the gospel, bringing people to himself. So as you look at this, and civil magistrates, don't forget the history part of it. Okay, God's sovereign over these rulers. How does that impact how I'm acting, living, thinking, and what are my obligations and duties? Because you have them and I have them. And then how do, you, how do we teach our kids you know, to be an authority? You certainly teach them to be an in authority, it'd be under your authority. But that's a picture, hopefully for them, that this is how you to respond to any and all authority. You, you respect them, you honor them, you give them their place. You do what we read in paragraph 20.4 uh, in, in exercising your Christian liberty. Right? Paul, you help me with my time. Okay. Um, now, another question I have here, part of this number two of our 
on page 611, why are we to be subject to the higher powers? So why is it and how is it? And we did what we've been talking about a good bit, but I just want to kind of summarize it. So how is it that this, the, the truth that all powers are ordained of God, why is it so important for us? Well, obviously, it's going to impact our perspective of everything relative to authority. Right? So, help us. And that's why it's so important to get to, you're ordained of God. I know what I know about God. So I know then these people, they got to an answer to him, and he's in control. So, it helps my perspective. Helps our understanding of government in the light of what we know about God. Even God's governance. You go back and look at God's interactions with his people in the Old Testament. Always for their good. Providing for them, taking care of them, correcting them, judging them. What do we know from Scripture? Whom the Lord loves, he what? He chastens, doesn't he? Sometimes that chastening can be pretty severe. And you see that. You see that in history. But we know what we know about God. We know he's put these authorities in place. We know he loves us. We know he's in control of them. So, certainly helps our perspective. All of them are for our good and his glory. Now again, doesn't mean it's our good, doesn't mean it's all rosy and everything's going to go well. He loves us, he's sovereign, he's all wise. It helps us to understand with a civil magistrate, certainly helps us understand how we deal with the church, in the church, with the authorities in the church. Because those are ordained of God just as much as the civil, right? So now you've got authority and you've got all the fifth commandment coming into play again. And at, at you would like to think at its highest level. Unfortunately, the people in authority at best, are sinners saved by grace. Going to make mistakes, not always going to get it all right. But certainly the desire of the heart of those in authority should be, but we want to get it right. And if we don't get it right, we should be the first ones to say, we messed up. We're sorry. The BCO and our, our BCO and, and, and our government stuff realizes this. We make a mistake. We make a mistake. It's the law of the land until we realize we made a mistake and then we're to correct it. Right? So our, our civil magistrates do the same thing. They make mistakes. Make mistakes. But we, uh, 
we learn how to live in both situations. And then as we think about this, it makes us go back and consider the fifth commandment specifically in relation to, not exclusively, but when you're thinking civil magistrates or ecclesiastical magistrates, if I can put it that way, fifth commandment's going to come into play. And you've got to look at it. And, and it'll, it'll, it'll change your whole, it'll change your life. It is so contrary to human nature because everything's working to help the other, both directions, praying for one another, overseeing, being submissive. I mean, the whole is wonderful. You look at it and see what the obligations are, and you say, boy, if we could live in a world with people acting this way, it'd be heaven on earth, literally. But it doesn't happen and won't happen until we're in heaven perfectly, but certainly it should be for that for which we strive. Now, final thing on this. And we'll, we'll end with this. What are the alternatives to what we're talking about? Civil magistrates ordained of God. Ecclesiastical. They're separate. Civil doesn't get into ecclesiastical. Ecclesiastical doesn't get into civil. At least that's our position. So what are the alternatives? Well, the alternatives obviously are that the civil does get into the ecclesiastical and the civil is top dog and ecclesiastical is under it or the other way around. That the ecclesiastical should get involved and run the civil when it's being run contrary to God's word. There's a lot of temptation. You stop and think, oh, we got to get Christians in positions of authority so they can run this country based on how I believe. We're going to see that that's not even what God requires. We're going to talk about that a little bit and, and uh, how that works out. God requires what? That civil governments simply protect and enable people to do what's right. Didn't say everybody has to be a Christian. Remember when we were looking at the Sabbath day? There was a law in this state. It said if you didn't go to church on Sunday, you could be fined. Okay? Rare excuses, necessity, mercy, exceptions. But that was the law. You didn't go to church. You could be, what was happening? You had the state. We, boy, isn't that great? Everybody made you go to church. Isn't that wonderful? But what did you have? You had civil authority stepping into the ecclesiastical realm, didn't you? Trying to help people do what they believe was good 
So you had, and I would say, you had with some of that the carryover of the attitude across the pond, and that is government should help people do what's right. That's the culture they came from, our early fathers of this land, coming from England and Scotland and Ireland, those areas. Jordan. What in, in Jordan's thing? Whose values? Value systems always impact government, okay? Always, and so whose value system gets exalted, um, and and how does that play into it? And we'll we'll talk about it because my time's gone. Uh, but don't let me forget it. But a lot of that comes back. I would suggest to you to what we talked about earlier, the value system that we would like to see protected, and it's hard to protect it and exalt what's being exalted now, but the value system that gets protected, our value system, depends on what we're doing as a church and what we're doing as believers. For our position to be protected does not present any difficulty to God. None. And again, it, it, it has a lot to do, I'm convinced, with where we are as believers and what we do. More so than what the ungodly are doing. Because God judges the, unright, the ungodly every day. We know that. How he does it, that's in his wisdom and his providence, how he does it. So, all right, let's pray. I mean, good, and I want to get thoughts and questions. I just want to throw some stuff out and get these things going, and then we'll talk a little more about some of these as we go along. Father, again, we are grateful to you for your word and, and how it instructs us in so many practical, everyday things of life. Lord, we also confess that sometimes these things are extremely difficult for us to process with the, the nature that we have that's sometimes seeking self-preservation more than trusting you. self-preservation as we would think it ought to be done or happen. So, Lord, help us. Help us understand Help us to do what you would have us to do related to all authority. 
Lord, to, to, to so know and desire to do what's in your word that we will render to Caesar what's Caesar's and we will render to God what is God's. So help us, we pray. Bless us in the time to follow, especially in our worship. Lord, meet with us here, we ask, for we pray it in Christ's name. Amen.